I'm excited uh, because for our teaching series this year, we will be studying the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis. Um, and that word Genesis means beginning. It means beginning. And I think that's a, a perfect title because uh, Genesis is a book of beginnings. It's a book of beginnings. The beginning of the universe, uh, the beginning of humanity, human beings, the beginning of marriage, the beginning of sin, the beginning of nations, the beginning of God's covenant promises, the beginning of Israel. The book of Genesis is a book of beginnings. It's, it's the very starting point for all that we know and enjoy and love about God. It all begins in Genesis. It's the starting point. And, and so without exaggeration, it, it, Genesis truly is the foundation for all of our confessions, everything that we profess to believe as followers of Jesus. And that's what makes Genesis just so important for you so important for me. And so as your pastor, along with your leaders, our heart, we want to ground you in the truth. We want to ground you in who God is and what he's done for you and how that changes you. And, and in other words, uh, uh, we're thinking about God's identity. And, and Genesis is going to give us the very cornerstone, the very corner of, a core of God's identity tonight. In other words, when we ask the question, who is God? Who is God? Who is this being? Who is he? Uh, tonight, we're going to answer that question. We're going to see what answer does the Bible give? That's our focus tonight. What is the very first answer the Bible gives to the question, who is God? Who is he? And so let's go ahead and read our passage pray and dig in. So everybody get your papers out. If you don't have one, raise your hand. Can you pass that back to him? Uh, somebody give that to him. Who else doesn't? Austin. There you go. Does anybody else not have one? Dang. I, I thought I was going to, I was going to say we had the perfect amount. <laughs> Uh, it's, not, it's not like that. Okay. All right. So let's go ahead and read our passage. Uh, look at your papers with us. This is the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, creator, sovereign Lord, merciful Savior, we come now asking that you would from heaven pour your spirit upon us. Let not uh, what happens here tonight be mere emotionalism, but a true work of your spirit in us, shaping and forming and calling us into the life of Jesus Christ. We, can, we cannot do this on our own. We can't make our hearts want you. We can't make our hearts believe you. So we ask now, Father, by your spirit, you do that for us. We lean on you. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we begin our exposition, our, our teaching, our understanding of Genesis 1-1, uh, I want to first take a moment to discuss the Bible itself. Uh, more specifically, I want to answer the question, what is the Bible? 
You know, we come here on Wednesday nights and every time we come, we're going to spend time reading, studying, reflecting, talking about the Bible. In fact, the truth is, as I mentioned earlier, the most important part of our night is the time we spend with the Bible together. And why is that? What makes the Bible so special? And to answer that question, I want to draw our attention to two different passages in the Newer Testament, okay? First, in the cross-reference section on your paper, look at 2 Timothy 3.16, all right? It's at the cross-reference section. And the Apostle Paul, he writes these words saying, All Scripture, that is, the Bible, is breathed out by God. Okay, so everybody, I want you to take your hand. Take your hand, everybody, everybody. Place it in front of your face. And I want you to read 2 Timothy 3.16 quietly to yourself. Okay, you guys done feeling awkward? All right, good. So as you read, I hope you noticed, uh, you felt the warmth and some of you very hot warmth of your breath. Um, as you spoke each word, you felt the breath come from your mouth and touch your hand. And, and that's the image Paul is giving us in this passage. He's saying that when we read and, and understand the Bible, like when I read Genesis 1-1 earlier, yes, Robert, I spoke, but it was as if God himself was speaking so that we could even feel the, his, his divine breath of life on our neck. Put another way, according to Paul, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. But you might say, but I thought, you know, humans wrote the Bible. Wasn't it like corrupted and, and passed down by many, many people? Like, how could we still trust it? Well, uh, look at the next passage in the cross-reference sheet. This is 2 Peter, Peter chapter 1, verses 20-21, and look what he writes. He says this. He says, no prophecy of Scripture, the Bible, comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever, ever produced by the will of man. So his ingenuity, his craftiness, none of it was produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So then, according to the Apostle Peter, who was commissioned by Jesus, God the Holy Spirit so directed and so guided the, the, and preserved the process of the composition of the Scriptures, the writing process of the Bible, that whatever the authors wrote was fully endorsed, fully authorized, as if God was speaking himself. God ensured, according to that passage, by the Holy Spirit, that every word in the testimony of Scripture is his. He says, mine. And so what all this boils down to is that the Bible is this reveals God to us. The Bible reveals God. See, God is invisible. Right, that's probably not news to you. Uh, we can't see him. But the, the scriptures, they reveal, they unveil, they disclose and teach us who the invisible God is. And so to answer our question, you know, what is the Bible? What is it? It's nothing other and nothing less than the very revelation of God. What reveals God? 
This means that the Bible is not a textbook. Although it, it does contain lots of facts, uh, nor is the Bible a children's storybook, although it does tell the grand story of everything. Nor is the Bible a rule book. So many of us get that wrong. Although it does teach us how to live wise, honorable, full lives. So it's not a textbook. It's not a storybook. It's not a rule book. It's a living and active, sacred, special, set apart, divine instrument of God's that he uses to reveal, to speak to us. That's what the Bible is. And so look at the way uh, the author of the book of Hebrews describes scripture. This is why he talks about it in this kind of language. It's in your cross-reference section. Chapter 4, verse 12 of Hebrews, it says, The word of God is living and active. It's dynamic. It's moving. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And so the word of God then, it cuts to our very hearts cuts to our very heart of our being. So when we begin our study of Genesis, I wanted to begin this way to lay the foundation that the Bible is not a lifeless, irrelevant book, but rather the scriptures are where we go. It's, the, the scriptures are where we go to hear the living God, to hear him speak. It's where we go to, to know his thoughts, to experience his presence and his power. Uh, it's where we go to know God, to know him. Not like a math problem, not like two plus two, not like how George Washington was the first president of the United States, not like that, but to know him like a father to know him like a brother, to know him like a mighty yet humble king, to know God as a personal being who rules over the universe and loves you. That's what the Bible does. It reveals that God to us. The scriptures reveal and communicate the words of God. And so if this is true, if this is true, then what would this God what would this God, this majestic being, what would he reveal to us about himself first? What's the very first aspect of his character and his deity that he wants you to know? Genesis 1.1, first line of God's revelation tells us. Look there with me. It says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. That's what God wants you to know. This may be the most famous line in all of history. So let, let's start by making a few observations. Let's, let's study the passage a little bit. First, note that the very first subject of the Bible is who? God. He's the very first subject. Uh, uh, this insight, it, it points us to realize uh, that we're not the center of this world. Your dreams, your ambitions, your hopes, that's not the center of this world. It doesn't say in the beginning, Robert, or even man. It says in the beginning, God. And uh, as you all know, this is a, it's a, it's a drastic departure 
a radical contradiction to our selfie crazed, do me, uh, choose my own destiny, look the best kind of world I live in, you live in. But too often, I think we get sucked into that. We get sucked into that self-centered me first. It's all about me approach to life. A life of making our choices, our decisions, always thinking of me, me, me first. But think about it. What freedom? What freedom would we gain? What joy, what relief, what peace would we experience if we stopped obsessing about ourselves? Students, it's so liberating when I stop caring so much about how Robert Lee looks or appears. My reputation, my name, it's so freeing when I stop caring so much about me and I start focusing more on God. I don't, I'm not constantly fixated on how I look or sound or appear to others. For me, I find freedom, true freedom, when I make my life about God and not me. And that's exactly what Genesis 1-1 teaches us to do. God is the first subject of the universe. Not us. We will be dead in 70 years and forgotten. Our lives are a mist, a vapor. You are here today and gone tomorrow. You do not know what your life will bring. So what is worth spending our life on? Also note, when the verse starts by saying, in the beginning, God, this means that at the beginning of time itself, you know, the construction of time, what we know as time, at the beginning of time itself, at the beginning of all of creation as we know it, there was only one present. There's only one person present, God. And, uh, and to grasp you know, how significant, we probably heard that a lot growing up, but to grasp how significant this was, uh, we must know that this was an incredibly radical claim compared to the other ancient cultures and their creation stories because they had their own too. They had their story of origin as well. See, most, if not all, other ancient creation accounts begin with multiple gods. Multiple supernatural deities and they're often fighting and competing for supremacy in position. But that's not what we have here in Genesis 1. We have no fight. There are no competitors. There are no rivals to God. He is there alone, reigning in supreme authority. In the beginning, God was there. No one else. Just one powerful, divine God. And this also shows us that this God depends on no one for existence. That is, he needs no one. He relies on no one. He's completely and fully self-sufficient, self-existent. 
He's the source of all power, the fountain of all life. The God of Genesis, the God of the Bible is not needy. He's not weak. He's not puny. And it says that this one God who existed by his own power before time itself says this, he created the heavens and the earth. And what's interesting is, and so if you were with me in my office and you were like doing a word study with me, if you did a word study and you looked up every instance, uh, 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 the Hebrew verb bara, which is translated as created here. So if you looked up that word cr translated created every single time in the Hebrew Bible, you know what you would find? Only God does bara in the Bible. Only God is ever the subject of that verb. He is the only one who does that type of creating. And what we can conclude then is that the author wants us to understand that what happened in Genesis 1-1, what happened in the beginning, uh, was a special divine act of God that could be done by no one else. No one else had that power. No one else could do barah. And what did this God create? What did he barah? The heavens and the earth. And, and what we have here is a figure of speech. It's called a merism. Say merism. One more time. Say merism. Okay. You're going to learn a figure of speech. Uh, and merism is when an author uh, uses the combination of two opposites, like here, heaven and earth. He uses the combination of two opposites to describe something in its totality. Like the good and the bad. Expressions like that. And so a good translation of this verse could read, in the beginning, God created the universe. Or, or even better, in the beginning, God created everything. Everything. The galaxies, the planets, the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth. God did that. And so finally, now, after thinking through this verse, we can return to the overarching question of tonight. And that is, according to Genesis 1-1, the beginning of God's revelation to man, if there's one reality, if there is one truth, one truth, one reality that we all must grasp, uh, that there's one place that we all must start. It's understanding God, this being, as the sole and single creator of all that exists. That's the very first aspect of God's perfections that he reveals to us. He's the creator. There is no more fundamental truth to our faith. Indeed, all of Christian doctrine, everything, all we believe stands or falls upon this truth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So put more directly, you have a creator. You have a designer. You have one who knows you intimately inside and out. You are not an accident. You have purpose. You have significance. You were created by God and you belong to Him. God is the creator and there is no other. And He created you.
back in August of 2010, uh, August 2010, so like a month ago, 12 years ago, you know what happened? I got saved. <laughs> I got saved 12 years ago. Completely just ripped out of a life of sin and set in a path, set apart for God's purposes. And uh, in those beginning times when I first got saved, I didn't really know what to do. All my friends were unbelievers. All of them were partiers. All of my whole life, I was just surrounded by just worldly just sin. And, I, and, it, and, and so I didn't really know what to do. And so I spent a lot of time by myself those first few months. And, and whenever I had significant doubts, whenever I was really starting to doubt God's existence, that he was real, I remember getting outside and taking walks by myself in the dark. Late at night sometimes. And sometimes I would just stop, like at a corner or something, I would just look at the stars and the moon and I'd marvel at their existence of my own. I'd marvel at how I was alive, that I breathed, that I had thoughts, that I existed. Have you ever marveled at your own existence? Have you ever marveled that we're on a ball orbiting around a giant star? And every single thing, every single measurement has to be exactly perfect for life to exist on earth. How can this be? Just, I just want you to take a third person view of your life this week and just think, I exist. Existence is weird. How did this all happen? Well, that's what I did so often. And as I took in all of creation, for me, I was assured there was a creator. When I ponder my existence, when I ponder the existence of the universe, I was assured God exists. This is no way by chance. But not only does he exist, not, not as, he's not just a distant, transcendent, all-powerful deity, but he's also a crucified creator. He's a crucified creator. While in Genesis, God had not yet revealed the fullness of his identity to us. Well, we don't get the fullness of who God is just in Genesis. That takes a little while. Later in the New Testament, we do. And, and look at what we find. In John chapter 1, the apostle picks up the same language used in Genesis 1 to begin his account of Jesus' life and ministry. So the gospel of John, it's written by this apostle, and he's detailing the events of Jesus' life. And look, look how he begins. It's on your paper. He writes, in the beginning, sound familiar? That's familiar, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, the Word. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And here it is, verse 14. And that Word that created all things, that high, supernatural, supreme power, that Word, became flesh 
and dwelt among us. And he says, we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, Jesus, full of grace and truth. And so this is the great mystery of the Bible. This is the great mystery of all of God's revelation. That the creator of the universe, the one who dwells in unapproachable light and holiness, the one where angels worship and bow night and day, night and day. The one who hung stars and moons and earth, created the, the body, the anatomy, everything, everything created by his wisdom, by his power, his glory. That God became a man, Jesus Christ, and he died on a cross for us undeserving sinners, that creator of great power and majesty spent his life for us. That's the good news. So that the whole story of Scripture, all of God's revelation, is always leading and going toward that ultimate revelation that God himself took your sin on him and died for you. So that all who repent and trust in him ha might have eternal life. I love how one poet said, The one who hung the stars was destined to wear our scars. Students, this is the God revealed to us in Genesis. He is both mighty and humble. Majestic and tender. Glorious. And lowly, he is both creator and the crucified. This is our God. This is the God who speaks tonight through this passage. This is the God who calls you to trust him, to love him, to obey him, to seek him. This God speaks to you now. Let's pray. Father in heaven. I'm so thankful you are the God who speaks. And I pray that by your grace and by your mercy, you would fill us with awe and wonder that we exist. That we would see in creation evidence all over for your existence, for your power, for your wisdom. But I pray we would even more find evidence for your love, your compassion, and your son, Jesus. That we'd be able to see him in all his greatness, all his love and mercy on us. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.